You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Well, thanks, Doug. I appreciate you uh, praying for us. That was uh, a good word from the Lord. Um, we're going to be continuing this morning in our series entitled uh, The Exile. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to grab it. As usual, the words are going to be up here on the screen uh, for you guys to check it out from home. But uh, open up to the book of Joel, uh, which is what we're going to be talking about. Um, now, we're in a series, if you're uh, not familiar with, called The Exiled. And we're walking through uh, all of the minor prophets and then uh, some books that aren't minor prophets. But they're all books that uh, were uh, that take place when the nation of Israel was either going into exile, uh, books like um, uh, Hosea that Nate did last week, uh, right before they entered exile, during exile, which uh, we did during the series on Daniel that we all did, and then we're going to also have some books that take place uh, after exile that we'll get to kind of later on in the in the series. Uh, and we were real intentional in sticking with this series, although life drastically changed for us, um, because we knew uh, that God was in control and he chose us to go ahead and talk about these things ahead of time. Uh, so I don't find it uh, a coincidence that we as a church are talking about exile uh, and we all find ourselves in a form of even exile and isolation. So there's just some really interesting connections that I think God is making for us. Uh, and I think the words of the prophets uh, can be as powerful to us today where we find ourselves right now as they were to the original audience. So one thing I want you guys to remember, and I know we've talked a lot about this, but uh, when reading prophetic books, we have to remember that they were written to a very specific group of people who had covenanted with God. They had entered into a covenant of works, and they had a covenantal obligation to uphold. God made it very clear to them at the beginning of the covenant what the consequences would be for violating the covenant. God also, in his mercy, sent them prophets to let them know what was going to happen to them if they didn't repent, to let them understand what was happening in that moment so that they could turn back to God. But because they chose not to repent, not to turn back to God, he punished them for covenantal disobedience. Okay, that's the framework for what we're talking about during the series. Now, for those of us today who have confessed Christ as Savior, who are the, the people of God, we live under a different covenant than the people in the story that we're reading. They lived under a covenant of works, but we live under a covenant of grace. When we disobey the commands of God, we are not punished. Okay? Make that really clear. That's what makes the new covenant so amazing. God does not let us suffer the consequences of our actions. I mean, he doesn't punish us because of our actions. What God does do is he allows us to suffer the consequences of our actions. Okay? So I want to make it really clear during this series and during this pandemic that we find ourselves in that COVID-19 is not God punishing sinful humanity. Okay? 
if you're saying things like that, you should stop because it's, it's incorrect theology. Now, having said that, I do believe that this pandemic is a product of a fallen creation. This sickness falls right in line with human trafficking, genocide, mass shootings, and terrorist attacks. It's a product of a fallen world, not God's judgment on humanity. But here's the thing about God that's so amazing. Even in the midst of humanity suffering the effects of sin, God in his redemptive nature comes in and redeems our situations. He teaches us things that we wouldn't have learned any other way. He allows us to experience portions of his grace and of his nature that I don't think we would have seen any other way. And right now, we are finding ourselves in one of those moments where we are suffering the consequences of sin, yet God in his redemptive nature is teaching us things that we wouldn't have learned any other way. One of those truths that I've been reminded of during this pandemic that I think is a powerful truth that we don't want to miss is that this world is not as great as we would all like to pretend that it is. There's something very, very wrong with it. Now, the amazing thing about this pandemic is all of a sudden this reality has hit everyone. We've We've been pulled out of a false sense of security that we never really had. The delusion of control has been destroyed. And I don't know about you guys, but every day I wake up, it it feels wrong, you know, in a way that it hasn't felt like that in the past. And it's because our bodies are not meant to be destroyed by viruses. We are not meant to live in isolation. But all of a sudden, the curtain has been pulled back on the delusion of human sovereignty. Praise God. There are some amazing things that we can learn about what we believe to be true about God during this season. So what I want to talk to you guys about today, and the word from the prophet Joel, is how do we respond during this season? Well, one response would be joyful worship. Let's look at James 1, 2 through 4. It's a real familiar passage of Scripture. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That'll preach, right? Right? I mean, that would be a great message, and I would love to stand up here today and preach that word to you guys. But I think God has another word for us this morning. It's a word from the prophets. Because there's another appropriate response of God's people to tragedy, and it's called a lament. So I'm going to define lament as a prayer and pain that leads to trust. So that's what we're talking about. What does lament look like? It's a prayer that's done in pain, but it leads to trust. And the thing about a lament is it's not practiced very much in our American faith. And there's not much of a place for it in the church because we haven't created a place in the church to tell God that life stinks. But it's a biblical response. When you think about it, a third of the Psalms can fall into the category of lament. A third of them. 
Let's look at Psalm 77 as a great example. David says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit thanks. Think about what David's saying in this passage. He's a man of sorrow who is praying intentionally. And while he prays, excuse me, while he prays, he he turns to God and says, God, my, my heart moans. He goes on in that passage to say, God, have you forgotten to be gracious? God, have you shut up your compassion? That's pretty amazing. So a lament calls us to talk about, to talk to God about our pain. So I'm going to come back to the lament later on in this message. But first, what I want us to look at is in the book of Joel, he's going to call the people to lament. So open up in your Bibles to Joel chapter 1. A little bit of background here. Uh, Before Joel was called to prophesy, the nations of Israel and Judah had gone through a season of just unparalleled prosperity as nations. They had reacquired the majority of the promised land that had been held during Solomon's reign. They had defeated the Philistines. They had defeated their longtime traitor enemy, the Edomites. And they had established safe routes for their prosperity. These were just going to be golden years for the nation. And in their success, they forgot God. And they defiled the covenant. So God uses the Babylonian Empire to punish them for breaking the covenant, and their groups of them are taken off into captivity. We talked about this during the book of Daniel. Well, some of the people are left in Jerusalem intentionally to oversee the nation that still exists there. The people who have been left behind in Jerusalem experience a plague of locusts that decimates the agricultural system. So think about all of what these people have gone through. They've been through the ringer. There was an invasion. The city of Jerusalem and Judea were overtaken. There was a deportation where families were separated. And now they suffer a pandemic. It's a a plague of locusts that destroys the agricultural system. Now, I'm worried just like you guys about not having enough toilet paper. But this is a whole nother realm of worry. And, and, and tragedy. Well, in comes the prophets Joel and Obadiah into the scene. So Joel's message is for Judah and Jerusalem. Obadiah's message is for Edom. What I'm going to do today is focus on Joel's message. So let's read it together, starting in verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 12. It says, The word of the Lord <coughs> came to Joel, the son of Bethuel. <coughs> Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your father? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and let their children tell another generation. So just think about what he's saying there, right? Joel, like like us, he's speaking to an audience that finds himself in unprecedented times. This pandemic that we are experiencing today will go down in history 
And we will talk about it for generations to come. So when we think about that, we can, we can relate just a little bit. We can connect with what Joel said here. Joel goes on in verse 4. He says, What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust is eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust is eaten. And what the hopping locust has left, the destroying locust is eaten. So total devastation. And then he tells them, Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine. Because of the sweet wine, for it has cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord, the fields are destroyed, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes. Pomegranate, palm, apple, all the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. So Joel here, he's going to call all of the people from the elderly all the way down to the children to awake from their drunkenness, awake from their stupor. He says, weep and wail because of the destruction that has fallen upon you. He gives the analogy of a virgin whose bridegroom has been stolen right before the wedding. Uh, Ron and Caitlin just got married, which are really excited for you guys. Uh, but think about what would have happened if, if the groom had been stolen away from you right before your wedding, right? That's the idea that he's trying to create here in this people. Realize what you have lost. Joel tells the priests, <coughs> excuse me, all the way down to the farmer, mourn for all that you have lost. Well, what's so significant about what they have lost? I mean, think about the loss of food for one thing. But Joel doesn't talk as much about that. He doesn't talk about the agricultural produce just as being food. Because what they had lost in losing the produce was they had lost the meal and the drink offerings that they were to offer alongside the burnt offerings to Yahweh. So these offerings represented the very heart of daily worship for the people. The burnt offerings represented the sacrifice that was paid for their very lives. The, the meal offering represented their service to God. The drink offering represented the joy in the heart of the believer whose life is poured out and consecrated in service to God. With that in mind, this should have been a devastating time for them spiritually. Not only because their nation had been taken into captivity, but they have lost access to their God. That's what makes Joel's words so amazing, that he has to call them to lament. They should have already known that they should have been doing this. So look what he calls them to here in verses 13 through 14. He says, Put on sackcloth and lament, O priest. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. 
Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. See, the reason that Joel has to call them to lament was because they seem to be more upset about the loss of wine to drink than the loss of the drink offering. So it's, uh, it's like the Jack Sparrow quote in Pirates of the Caribbean. So the Royal Navy is bearing down on him. He's going to arrest him. He's probably going to get hanged. And what does he say? But, but why is the rum gone? Right? That, that's the attitude of the people of God after all this devastation. Like, I can't get drunk anymore. See, the reason that they were so upset about the loss of the wine and not the loss of their ability to connect with their God was because they had turned worship of Yahweh into a religious routine. Now, this is going to be a condemnation that all the prophets are going to bring upon the people and all of their different announcements. They say, you have turned the worship of God into a religious duty. Well, this continues all the way until Jesus' time. I mean, think about the amount of times Jesus spent accusing the religious leaders of the exact same thing. You just perform all these duties to make yourself look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. The judgment that Joel brings against the people is not the loss of their luxuries. It seems to be the only thing that bothers them, but it's the loss to their spiritual lives. As I was just processing through that this week and thinking a lot about the the circumstances that we find ourselves in today as the people of God, you know, this pandemic affects everyone from the elderly to the religious, just like it did in Joel's day. This actually affects the entire world. And I was really struck by this idea of what am I really upset about? For most of us, if I had to guess, it's going to be the inconvenience to our schedule. I had plans and they got ruined. So when you think about it, what are you really upset about losing right now? Is it your planned spring break vacation? Is it your graduation? Is it the spring soccer season? Is it your 401k? Church, hear me. These are all good things, and I don't want to come across as being disingenuous to your pain. But it really made me wonder, and God really broke my heart this week. Are are we hurting for the brokenness of this world? Are we lamenting the devastation of sin that we are all feeling? Are we even calling out to God during this season and doing what Doug did in that prayer, asking him to rescue and redeem us? What are you putting your trust in during this national tragedy? Whatever that thing is, it has become your God. But what if we looked at this pandemic as a wake-up call to God's creation marred by sin? What if we saw it the way that Paul saw the devastation of sin upon creation in Romans 8, 22 through 23? Let's look at it together. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul talks about this. this he, he's looking at all the sin and the brokenness in creation. And he talks about this inner yearning for something greater. Well, what does it look like to do that? How do we respond to God in that way? I think what we should do is lament. Like I said, a a lament is a cry out to God that all is not as it should be, and we need you. This is what the prophets are calling the people to do. Now, I want to make it really clear once again. The difference between us and the nation of Israel is they were being punished for sin, and we are not. COVID-19 is not God's judgment upon humanity. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. The punishment of judgment upon humanity had been eternally paid for, praise God. But God still allows us, as his creation, to suffer the consequences of sin. We live in a time period that's called the already, but not yet Sin has already been paid for, yet we are not yet sinless. So in that already not yet, lament is a great response to God in prayer. So in my pain, I choose to talk to God. I I lay out a complaint before God. I ask God of something boldly, and then I choose to trust in God. So... I feel myself during the season, I don't know if you guys have or not, just sitting and saying, God, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. You know, I, I want to be thankful, but I, I don't really know how to, how to restart my heart toward thankfulness. I find that that's how many of my mornings have been starting. I know I'm supposed to rejoice in all circumstances, but today... I don't know that your promises are true to me, and my feelings don't make me, doesn't say it's true. I want to let you guys know it's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to lament. Uh, At the end of this message, Billy and Tara are going to sing a song of lament. It's one of my favorite songs that they sing, and it's called My Eyes Are Dry. And the chorus goes, My eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold, and I know how I ought to be, alive in you and dead to me. That's just being honest with God about your heart. But in being honest with God, it it retunes our heart. So lament allows us to do a couple of things here. One of the things it does is it just vocalizes our sorrows. We're able to turn the rumblings of our soul into words to God. Lament, I think, also helps us to be able to empathize with other people, to be able to come alongside them, to be able to weep with those who weep. I think the other thing that lament does is it allows us to, to be honest, just so to learn some things that... We just wouldn't have learned any other way. It allows us to teach us some lessons. 
And the thing about lament is it takes an incredible amount of faith to do it. It's where we choose to turn to God when we're hurting. To pray a prayer of lament, I think, is one of the most faith-filled things that we can do during this season. We can talk about our pain to God so that it becomes a platform for for trust in him. And, And here's the thing. I know I've found this over the last couple of weeks. I think the enemy uses pain to cause us to stop talking to God. And we go through pain, and as a result, many of us kind of fall into just resolved silence. And there's these things that we feel we can talk to God about, but then there's these other things that we feel that, you know, I just can't talk to God about those things. How many of us have found ourselves having a hard time talking to God during this season of suffering? See, in the past, we could gather on a Sunday morning and we could come to church where everybody kind of seems to have it all together and we could sing these celebratory songs about how everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. Uh, And I don't have anything against celebratory songs, but the challenge is they don't often speak to the heart language of of all the things that we're going through, all the things that we're grieving and wondering, God, where are you in all of this? So at the, at the heart of it, a lament is just choosing to turn to God and complain. I know that may sound weird, but a complaint is central to a lament. It's just being brutally honest with God about how we feel. Complaint is not the only part of lament. But because we believe in God's promises, yet we don't always feel them, It's just telling God, this is how I feel right now. That's okay. I want you guys to go back to Joel. Now, Joel in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, look at what he tells the people to do in the lament. He says, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, And rend your hearts and not your garments. This is central to uh, the, the new covenant theology that God cares about our hearts, not just our outward moment, our outward actions. He says, return to the Lord your God. And then we sang about this a minute ago, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. So fasting, weeping, Morning. These are all appropriate responses to suffering. They're spiritual disciplines that retune our heart to God's sovereign purposes. They help us when there's this tension where we know God's good, but it just doesn't seem like it. I know that you promised to be with me, but I don't feel you near me, God. Why? How's this possible? How did this happen? If you need some language for lament, because it's not familiar with you, I would encourage you to read the book of Lamentations. It was written for the people of God who Joel's talking to, to know how to respond during tragedy. Open up the Psalms if you need words for lament. A third of them were written in lament. Find the words to respond to God during this season. See, there are things that are in the Bible 
promises of God that he has made that you know are true, but you just don't feel it in this moment. And the question is, what do you do when that happens? The answer, you just simply talk to God about it. God can handle our heartfelt complaints. If you're still not convinced, I'll tell you that Jesus complained. Hanging on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so asking is the way in which we just call the promises of God into account. We ask God to do what he promised in his word to do. At the same time, we're, we're releasing control of the timing. But we're saying to him, I'm asking you to move. I'm asking you to help me. I'm asking again for you to be true to your word. And when we ask, it's not only that we're asking God to act, but it's also that we're reminding ourselves of the promises that God has made to be true. I found this in my journey with God, that it's remarkable that as, as you ask of God, you're not only like pulling the promises of God into your world, but you're reminding yourself that I do actually believe this to be true because I'm simply asking. I don't know about you guys, but in our home many times, uh, when Jamie and I are struggling with something, we'll just process out loud with the other person. And it's so funny how you don't even have to say anything in response. As you process out loud, clarity and truth comes into your own heart. I think that's a part of what lament is. It's processing out loud with God to find clarity to move forward. And here's the thing. We don't have to believe and then ask. We have to ask so that we believe. And that's what lament does. It helps us, it strengthens us, it moves us to trust. Now, the important thing about lamenting is it always needs to end in trust. If you end in trust, or I would say if you're lamenting and you don't end in trust, you have not lamented. You've just been sad. So what we need to do is through all the pain, through all the frustration, through all the unfair treatment at the hands of others, through all the injustice, lament leads us to a place of worship where we choose to trust God. And I think in that moment, God helps us in our trust. So what is it that we're ultimately trusting in? Ultimately, what we're trusting in is what the prophets call the day of the Lord. It's a theme that runs throughout the story of God. No matter what pestilence and judgment fell upon the people of God, they could look forward to a day when God would restore everything. So Joel spends all of chapter 2 talking about this day when God will right all the wrongs, when sin will be paid for eternally, when God's Spirit will be poured out upon His people. Let's look at it together in verses 28-32. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood 
before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I love this passage of Scripture because it talks about two future realities for the people of God. One of those realities we know was accomplished on the cross. So in Acts 2, Joel's prophecy comes true. When the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples and they start speaking in languages that they do not know. Well, the crowd around them accuses them of being drunk, which I find is really ironic because that's what Joel's actually accusing his audience of doing. But in Acts 2, Peter stands up and says, they're not drunk. Because for one thing, it's just not late enough in the day, which I think is a funny argument. It says a lot about the disciples. But then the cool thing is, Peter, he's going to go on and quote the words of Joel that we just read. So how can we trust God that he's going to be faithful to his people during this pandemic? Because we have seen one of those future realities happen already. We have seen his faithfulness. How do we know that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? We look to the cross. Laments should always end looking at the cross as the most beautiful and clear demonstration of the love of God. In a moment, when Billy and Tara come back to lead us in worship, uh, I want to invite you guys to partake of communion if you're prepared to do it. If you're not, that is completely fine. But I would encourage you to because Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that's what we want to do in just a minute. (laughs) We're going to proclaim the truth to our own hearts about the goodness and the graciousness of God during this season. But there is another greater reality and future reality that this verse talks about. Because the day of the Lord was not only accomplished at the cross, it will one day fully be accomplished. The book of Revelation talks about this day, this future reality. Look at it in Revelation 21, 1-4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for for her husband. I love that. The bride and groom, they found themselves. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Our proximity problem has been solved, right? He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's something we look forward to, church. A day that is coming when sin will forever be destroyed, and there will no longer be pandemics, and there will no longer be death. We will get to be physically close to our God. 
until that day comes, I believe that God is teaching us to live in the tension between pain beyond belief and divine sovereignty beyond all comprehension, where you choose to put your trust in God. So let us respond and lament. Let us cry out to our God. Let us be brutally honest with him about all that's going on. And let us retune our own hearts and trust and faith in him. I'm going to invite you guys to pray with me. And then we're going to sing, my eyes are dry. Father, we come before you now. And we lament. Father, we acknowledge that life is not as it should be. It, it hurts, God. We're, I'm worried. I'm worried about what the future is going to look like. I'm, I don't know maybe financially how to provide. I, I don't know if I'm going to get COVID-19. I don't know all, of all the people in the world that are suffering so much greater than we are. And But God, you, you said that in that verse that you would be gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So would you pour your grace out upon us right now during this season? Pour your grace out upon your creation, Father. They were made in your image to bring glory to you. And this pandemic is marring your image bearers, Father. Would you give us your grace to remain faithful during this season? Father, would you convict our hearts of the brokenness of this world? Father, we repent that we're really more upset about just the loss of our luxuries than we are that there's so many people in this world are separate from you. And may this time of pandemic be just a little glimpse of what it would be like to be separate eternally from the Father, to face an, an eternal pandemic, an eternal separation. Would our hearts burn for our neighbors? Not that they just wouldn't get a sickness, but that they already have one. It's the sickness of sin, depravity. And would you use us, Father, to bring the gospel, the good news, that there is a cure to all the pain and the suffering, that there is a day coming when we won't have to live like this, when we can be with you. Father, put that word on our lips and deep inside of our hearts. Rend our hearts just like, like Joel called the people to do, break our hearts for the things that you care about. You care about your creation. So Father, having come before you and asked all these things, we trust in you because we've seen your grace. We've seen your mercy. We look to the cross and see your provision. And would the, the cross once again just wash over us? Would it open up our hearts to to believe what we say we believe about you and about your sovereignty? Would we step down from the throne of our own lives, this delusion of human sovereignty, and acknowledge you as the sovereign one? We do that now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.